0: If you love where you live and love to help travelers, sign up now to be a Circa Concierge. Help out our users and earn tips for the knowledge you have about your own city or country. Head over to circatravel.com forward slash concierge and sign up today.
1: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in.
3: Anyone? Oh
1: God, so many thoughts on death. Um, I, I'm against it? <laughs> <laughs> a destination isn't always a place.
0: Sometimes it's a new way of seeing things. I'm Neil Innes. And I'm Andres Bartos. From Frequency Machine, this is Passport. Your ticket to everywhere. <laughs>
1: Welcome to a place which many call the heart of Mexico. A place which has a history of violence, imperial rule, and political unrest. But in spite of this, or maybe because of it, it's a region that also held on to deep, rich traditions like no other in the country. Oaxaca. This vast
0: mountainous state touches the southeast coast of Mexico. And in it, you'll find a complex mix of dialects over 22 languages, and many, many ethnic groups. It has some of the richest soil which flavors the food, vibrant and diverse people which color the conversation, and strong, deep indigenous roots which drive this fascinating culture.
1: Oh, also, Oaxaca knows how to party. In this episode of Passport, we are going to dive headlong into one of the deepest, darkest parties of all, the Day of the Dead.
0: The spirit of death in Mexican culture lives in its rituals, in its celebrations, its music, its food, comics, behavior, even jokes. Mexican writer Octavio Paz once wrote, The Mexican is familiar with death. He jokes about it, caresses it, sleeps with it, celebrates it. It is one of his favorite toys and his most steadfast love. That's a weird way to talk about death.
1: But it is a perspective that is distinctly Mexican. And today, Harriet Davies heads to the heart of Mexico to uncover how the place created a view of death like no other on earth. How the people have preserved it, and how the future could change it forever. Do you have dead that you talk to?
0: No, I haven't really lost many people in my life. So I don't have that... I don't have a like a connection to it. Maybe that's why I'm kind of a little bit blasé about death.
1: Okay. I don't really fear death. My, <laughs> my first memory is a dream I had the day that my grandfather died. I don't remember the funeral, but I remember the dream very clearly because... We laid him out in the dining room, which I thought was very normal until I met somebody that wasn't Latino. And they're like, that's kind of (laughs) weird. Coffin coffin was on the dining room table and I was very small and I couldn't look up. And a friend of my mother's lifted me up to look at my grandfather. And I was into these little um, mints, like lozenges. So I asked her if I could give him a lozenge. And she was like, yeah, go for it. And that's like my first memory. Wow, Latin America. What can I say? <laughs>
3: <laughs> in England, dead are like hidden away exactly. into a coffin and never seen again. You don't have that same openness, I suppose. You
1: don't talk about it.
3: Don't right? talk about it. No. no, just like get rid of it.
1: Here in Barcelona and in Latin America, it's the same thing. You you've been to cemeteries here. It's apartments. Apartments with a good view are more expensive than the ones with a bad <laughs> so view. True. Yeah. You have poor neighborhoods, you have yeah. fancy yeah. neighborhoods, you have mausoleums. Yeah. like It's like I just left this world. And now I'm and still now I'm dealing another with bureaucracy. World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like the stones, like a good stone slab with a good message on it. Yeah. And it's cool to visit, but what, I don't want that
3: what, for what would your message be?
1: He was an
0: all right dancer.
1: I'd <laughs> 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 be, I'd be happy with that.
3: Just alright. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't want to be, you know, fancy.
3: <laughs>
1: in Latin America, we keep death really close. Life isn't very valuable, yeah. unfortunately. By excellence, the place is Mexico. Mm-hmm. They're they're the ones that have it down. Come on, let's do some. Let's go to Oaxaca. We'll die a little bit.
3: <laughs> You're standing on a mountain in the middle of Mexico, in the state of Oaxaca. About an hour outside of Oaxaca City, it's cold here. Looking down to the end of a lush green valley, you find a small town. This is Mitla, the place of the dead. Mitla is a Zapotec burial site made up of stones and rocks, a total geometric weirdness. It's surrounded by a barren landscape of ancient ruins standing as a relic of the old world. This place, these ruins, are still believed to be where the Zapotec souls gather together.
4: Well, it's on the hillside, close to the Tlacolula Valley, eastern part of Oaxaca. It was the town of the dead.
3: This is Gabriel Mendoza. He lives in Teotitlan, a small town next to Mitla with his mother, a Canadian writer. In Gabriel's own words, his father taught him everything he knows about Zapotec culture, and his mother wrote everything down.
4: My father was a weaver one of, and a painter as well. He was one of the great masters of weaving of Mexico.
3: Historically, the Zapotecs weaved and painted. They were an artistic people, famous for their brightly colored geometric patterned rugs and blankets. And Gabriel's father had worked so hard to keep this part of the culture alive. He took the symbols from the Mittler, like the Ojo de Dios, the God's eye, and hand-weaved them into the tapestries.
4: It's one of the most complicated things to explain as well, that all these symbols are part of the weavings, and that through these weavings, he was giving knowledge to the people about it as well.
3: The 400,000 remaining Zapotecs are now scattered across the country. Along with the Zapotecs, the Aztec, and the Mayas, they all have a connection to a rough past. A strong connection to the thing that most cultures fear the most. Death.
4: I mean, we had uh, gods that were venerated for death, you know. And I think that is a very natural thing in the belief of, of most Mexicans, that you're going to meet your creator, I guess, you know. There's this like inevitable way that you're going to get there once you die, then the journey.
3: In Aztec mythology, Mitlán de the god of the dead, lives in the bottom layers of the afterlife.
4: There's a lot of symbols of water there that you can see on the tapestries, that you can see on some of the designs around Oaxaca. You know, there's this belief as well that, like, you cross a river.
3: Imagine this river, something similar to the River Styx. In the Zapotec version of the afterlife, there's no ferryman, there's no paradise, there's no hell. Just the underworld. The idea of celebrating death has lived in Zapotec culture since its beginning in 700 BC. In that way, funerals are wildly different. They're celebrations. And these celebrations are the origin of the Day of the Dead. In the foothills of Serra Madre, in the heart of the region, Lies the state capital of this eccentric part of Mexico, Oaxaca City. The streets are lined with misshapen, multicoloured houses, tiny squares, and cobbled streets. The city and its surrounding are actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site and are also an epicentre for the Day of the Dead. Every year, beginning the 31st of October, this beautiful place erupts.
1: Incense fills the air. The streets are carpeted with bright marigold petals.
0: Halloween orange candles light the faces of people. Feathers cascading
1: from their hair. Coloured skulls flower murals. The streets are crammed with all kinds of people dancing. Terrifying painted grinning white faces, floats, raucous music. A giant skeleton puppet convulses above the crowd.
0: On the corner, a man sits cleaning a pile of bones. And at the cemetery, families gather while guitars
1: fill the air. Piles of candy skulls cover the floor. In the multicolored terraced houses, the families sit down to intimate dinners around the table, consuming the bread of the dead.
0: Next to them, altars they have curated with images of loved ones. They tell jokes and stories of those who have passed.
4: The altars are decorated with these uh, yellow flowers that is um, marigolds.
3: Flowers generally represent life, but here, the pungent scent and vibrant colours are used as a beacon for the dead, guiding them to the homes of the place they once lived.
4: There's all these uh, Mexican beliefs that like there's the seven steps to get back into heaven... a dead person has to do and that's why you make seven steps.
3: The altars can be five, six or seven layers filled with offerings, photos of fathers mothers, grandparents and lost friends.
4: Well personally I think it's a very nice tradition because it's like you never lose your heritage to, to yourself to your village. It's a way of uniting family. I put the picture of my father up and of his friends and of other people that he would love as well. Those spirits of the house kind of like come back to their old house of the parents and of the grandparents and they have the same table for three generations, you know, and they're sharing it one over time again. And, and then the day the family comes back together and they prepare the favorite food and they eat all together and they put a plate on the altar. The more
3: you remember the dead, the more likely they are to show up for dinner. The
4: candle and the incense kind of helps them come to the right house through the right energy, through the people, you know? The mescal, you know, that they love, the, is, is the one they buy. The, the chocolate and bread that, you know, that you only have at special occasions is there.
3: When Gabriel says mescal, he means mescal. His family would buy 80 litres of mezcal for one party. Mezcal is the lifeblood in Oaxaca. An ancient drink made by roasting the agave plant in the earth, using wood and hot stones to make a rich, smoky, pungent spirit. For a decent bottle, you have to wait at least 10 years. By Mexican law, it can only be called mezcal if it comes from a specific region in Mexico, of which Oaxaca is the main producer. We're supposed to be Catholic, but we're not really Catholic. Yolanda Garcia is sitting in her bright yellow guest house, Frida. Yep, she named her house Frida. Next to her sits her Sholo Squinkle, a tiny, loyal, hairless dog that Yolanda believes will guide her through to the underworld when she dies. We, when we have a problem or something, we pray for dead people. With Yolanda, I wanted to explore all the myths, tales and events that make this event so special and so different.
5: The children are never afraid of a skeleton, for example. They love it. We
3: touch them and everything. It's, It's just natural. Yolanda spends months before the celebration preparing and the food is her number one priority. Tamales, tortillas, candied pumpkin, atole, the bread of the dead. But the piece de can only be one thing.
5: Mole. Mole
3: is a, big, uh, it's a sauce that it has a lot of many, many things. That's mole. It's the Oaxacan staple sauce.
5: It has like uh, three different types of tomatoes, two different types of nuts. It has lots of spices, nine different types types of peppers, so the process, the process to make a good mole, it takes at least a week.
3: It comes with its own folklore too, a story of a convent of nuns rushing to make a dish for a surprise visit from the bishop. It has such specific ingredients and measurements, it takes days to prepare and hours to cook. An infusion of spices, with other ingredients like pig lard and chilies, which are all roasted and blended and then lathered over chicken. Food in Mexico brings people, living and dead, together. But the spirits, they don't eat like us.
4: The dead uh, take the essence of the food, so the food stops having flavor that it's supposed to have. Uh, The fruit doesn't taste as much. The peanuts become drier.
3: The essence of the food disappears. The smell fades. This is a sign that the ghosts have passed through your house. It's a sign of a successful visit.
5: We feel that they are there. We sing the songs they used to like, and we also put candles, lots of
3: candles. The food, the drink, the flowers, the mole, the aromas of the Day of the Dead are almost too intense to imagine. But this holiday, this party, it's a connected to everyone. In dealing and remembering the people who have gone, it makes you appreciate the ones you have, and it shows Mexican humour in the most honest form.
5: When children go to sleep, we, we always tell them not to touch anything because if they touch something, the dead people are going to do something bad to them. So when we see a child do, you know, eating the candy that they don't supposed to eat from the outside, when they are sleeping, we tie up their feet and we paint their faces. So when they, the next day when they try to get up, they can't.
3: Tying up children and painting their faces while they're sleeping. Never take candy from the dead. I think I got the two most into the celebration people that you could find. Right. Because Yolanda obviously wanted to pass it on to her grandchildren and children. For her, it's super important to carry on telling these stories and tying up the children's feet to make it feel real and like the dead are you know gonna get you if you eat the food (laughs) and then Gabriel's kind of holding on to the memory of his dad yeah and through you know through all of the stuff that he's ever done and through these weavings so it's kind of like two different perspectives but on something that they're both trying to kind of get hold of
1: yeah preservation Preservation and death. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's it's not a celebration of death, really. It's a celebration of life, right? This intensity of flavors and smells and flowers and everything that kind of like lights you up. And then that thing, that cliche, right? When you remember someone who's died, you bring them back. But it's done in a very active way. It's not just like yeah. some anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like they're sitting there with you.
3: <laughs> yeah. They're going to be eating that food yep. and they will tie up your feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to behave yourself, man, because your grandparents are here. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it makes me very homesick because it's like this, this relationship to, to, to the people that are gone that you can never let them go, really at least that person
0: existed rather than it's horrible that that person's gone yeah it's like you've just gotten out of this family you still got to come back every year and, and sit still and have gotta, fucking dinner with them
3: overeat <laughs> you eat
1: all the food no matter what
3: yeah you go to your next door neighbor and like have you seen my auntie yeah. like, she's yeah. supposed yeah. to be she's, here she's been,
1: we've been waiting for like two days <laughs> we wandered off to some other marigold smelling house <laughs>
3: God, <laughs> like, damn it!
0: They have much better mole over there.
3: <laughs> I'd go to that house too.
0: There's arguments amongst the dead over whose mole is better.
6: Yeah. You know,
0: on the boat back. I'm sure.
6: Like,
1: <laughs> they like, overdo it with the nuts.
0: With all the dead talking about how much of fuck-ups their <laughs> <like> grandchildren are. A
5: Little Towns. They are parades that they are organized by different neighborhoods and they dress beautiful costumes with lots of rattles. The rattles are very heavy
3: and they dance all night. In the towns outside of Oaxaca, the sounds of rattles are deafening.
5: They don't sleep all night and they go to the cemeteries to sing for the Day of the Dead, to wake them up.
3: And the singers who head to the graves to wake the dead are dressed in the guise of La Catrina, a feminine skeleton dressed in a feathered hat, originally drawn by the Mexican cartoonist Jose Guadalupe. Again, the origins are all from a joke, a satirical character who represents the indigenous people who have forgotten their roots. She's now the face of the celebration, a reminder that no matter what you wear, who you are, or how much money you have, we all end up dead in the end. They continue until the early morning, until the candles have burned down and the voices are worn out. Well, almost. It turns out the dead are good confidants.
5: Like, you know, Mary uh, got pregnant because of the priest and, you know, had a baby. So they say all these things with, uh, in poems. It's a tradition. People, people laugh so much because the people who are saying all the truth about what happened, they were masks and they were uh, customs.
3: Skeletons are all over the place, but none in your closet. And nobody really
5: knows who's saying it. You know, they keep on talking and people are listening to all the, the things that they, they didn't know.
3: More and more, to me, the Mexican way seemed the right way to honour the dead. Maybe the rest of us are just doing it wrong.
6: It was uh, very near to disappear with the Spanish coming. In that time, there, there was a science. There was like a knowledge from the cosmos and uh, from all the dimensions of a human being. Very scientific.
3: As other cultures move in to embrace El Día de los Muertos as a global celebration, Maprem nilam. Lám, wants to preserve the day and keep it.
6: But the Spanish, uh, they burn huge libraries, they kill a lot of people because they didn't want this uh, knowledge to continue, but they want to impose uh, Christianity and, and, and another vision from what cosmos and life is.
3: When the Spanish arrived, they imposed their own science, language, and Catholic religion on the region, beginning in the late 1500s. The Zapotecs already had a written language, one of the earliest in Mesoamerica. They had a dual calendar system and advanced agricultural techniques and irrigation beyond the Europeans that sustained a population of 500,000 people. This invasion meant that the indigenous communities fled to the mountains, and many were killed by disease the Spanish began to introduce their own celebrations. Some of which would replace ancient traditional holidays. But what happened with the Day of the Dead was something different. The Spanish imposed Catholic celebrations, All Saints Day and All Souls Day. And rather smartly, the indigenous people just adjusted their month-long holiday to match the three-day Catholic tradition.
6: I'm not only a some form, some body that is going to die, and then everything is finished. What is true can never be destroyed, you know? What is true
3: never dies. Like Oktoberfest and Halloween, the Day of the Dead is becoming a global export. Near worldwide recognition of the festival, may force the celebration to change again.
7: One has to be very, very careful about uh, the way that we depict the Day of the Death.
3: Francisco Bazunza curated an exhibition on death, sexuality and mortality in Mexico. It first opened in Oaxaca City.
7: What's interesting of the Day of the Dead in Oaxaca is that because it's a tourist season, it's a good opportunity to reflect on what death conceptually actually means for the people in Mexico and for people who are travelling.
3: Francisco's work is a look into the country's complex relationship with life, sexuality, death and the afterlife.
7: A lot of the times, and that's very tragic, you see exhibitions in Oaxaca making it uh, absolutely folkloric uh, in order for this uh, celebration to be consumed as an experience for uh, tourists. Uh, with no regards to how the local population live it or have lived it.
3: Merchandising and selling the Day of the Dead is a little odd to think about, but it is happening. Fake government-created graves for tourists to Gorka and the expensive events that none of the locals can even afford. These things must be difficult for one of the poorest regions in the country.
7: In Mexico, it happens something interesting, and is that the Day of the Dead has become part of the nation-building project in Mexico.
3: The nation-building project is exactly what it sounds like. The buzz around the Day of the Dead has exploded beyond the borders of the country and is grown into a worldwide icon. One example of this is the potential twinning of Oaxaca City with Riverside, California. Riverside is the home of Coachella. Rumours of the Day of the Dead version of Coachella in Oaxaca are already beginning to spread among the living. With the incoming globalisation of the festival in mind, I talked to Yvonne Stavans, a Mexican writer and cultural critic, about the struggle between the old festival and what a new version of the Day of the Dead might look like.
8: Mexicans and Oaxacans keep their culture alive through storytelling. It is the stories that are told during the Day of the Dead From the grandparents to the children. Folklore in Mexico is popular culture. In the United States, popular culture is the movies, it's television. There is a wonderful chapter written by the Nobel Prize winner Octavio Paz. And uh, he says that whereas Americans drink in order to get rowdy, Mexicans drink in order to forget in order to be closer to their most basic instincts and to be engaged with their past and their future in a way that has nothing to do with uh, resistance to routine or to normal life.
3: That vision of the festivity is integral to understanding how Mexicans see life and death and change.
8: xaca and Mexican culture are always under threat. If you take away that threat, Mexican culture and Oaxacan culture in particular would probably disappear because they are reactive rather than active. The challenge is how do you survive with that presence in order to remain loyal to your core? That survival is found in the details that one does in every moment in life.
0: Government-issued fake tombstones <laughs> is also something that... That's a sentence. You have to stop merchandising at death. Is that That's the line,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have mixed feelings about it because on one hand, yes, you know, normalizing or kind of, like he says, standardizing the Day of the Dead, there's a kind of sadness to that. But on the other hand, there's the fact that it connects with people from everywhere in a way. Yeah, this is the
0: conundrum, isn't it?
3: I mean, I did have a chat with someone and they turned up to this celebration and they've gone for the past 27 years. Wow. And they had one experience talking about a dead loved one with some guy at a grave and they spoke for like three hours. Wow. And then from that point onwards, she just went back every single year. So allowing it to be open, I mean, it helps people, I suppose, in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, certain things end up becoming universalized, like Halloween. People yes. in Spain yeah. are going yeah. out and dressing up, and they yes. have no connection to the <laughs> friggin' yeah. Salem witches yeah. or anything. Yeah. I guess the the thing that you do have to know is, or what makes it richer is if you know where it comes from. Yeah. And you have a sense yeah. of that root, and then you can, you know, turn it into this modern thing or... Without, without losing anything.
3: Yeah. I don't know. If anything, whenever you speak to anyone, yeah. all they want to do is tell you about what they do and how they connect with their dead, and then hope that you've got up an altar in November next year. <laughs> like are you coming to Mexico, you can come and join us. You know, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna have a whole family dinner. Do you want to sit with us? You know, like there's no, there's no idea that they don't want you to come right. and enjoy it. Yeah, at all. If anything, it's the opposite. <laughs> right.
1: It's not like it's something that's closed. No,
3: not at all.
1: It's the question of how you're coming into it.
3: Yeah, I think so.
0: During the course of making this, Harry, every every single interview you did, you come out of the booth and you're like, I've got another place to stay in Mojica. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to I'm go.
1: I have to go.
3: Now. Yeah, it's true.
0: <laughs> we'll be back after the break with a break from the traditional. A real-life folkloric tale. A witch born of a forgotten Oaxacan tradition. See you in a bit. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Okay, picture
4: this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
3: While Oaxaca tends to be a relatively calm area of Mexico, in reality, the country is at war, a savage drug war. 19 out of the 50 most dangerous cities in the world are in Mexico. In 2019, nearly 36,000 homicides were recorded. As truly horrifying as these numbers are, they might bring home why the country, both now and in history, has an acceptance of death like no other. Here's Francisco again. Well,
7: I mean, there's uh, hundreds of people who are killed every day in this country since the so-called war on uh, cartels.
3: Just on June the 7th, 2020, 112 murders were recorded in just 24 hours.
7: And these levels of violence are very difficult to explain. And a lot of communities live under the terror of drug cartels and organized crime.
3: Living in this reality, discussing death with people who live in this place and have a celebration of death, is tough to understand, and Francisco has a similar concern.
7: Something of this, of the way that this celebration is currently carried on, though, does disturb me a bit. That is not something that is trivial. Of course we're all going to go through it, but I do find it a bit uncomfortable that um, we, have a, we, we have this, and now I use the word, glorification or acceptance of death. It's wonderful that we have this spiritual connection with those who have uh, deceased. but it's also quite disturbing that we have such a trivial relationship with uh, those who have been killed, but it's certainly something that no one uh, should ever get used to.
3: Cartel violence has changed things and it has incorporated, controversially, another tradition shrouded in death. The cult of Santa Muerte has become iconic within the cartel world. The cartel don't pray to a god all to the dead. They pray to death herself. Previously, Santa Muerte didn't have a day, but now many followers are celebrating her during the Day of the Dead celebrations.
8: Santa Muerte is a very powerful icon that uh, presents itself like a ghost.
3: Jovan Stevens tells us a little more about how this icon of this deity is popular culture.
8: Santa Muerte plays a very important role in uh, the drug cartel culture. Uh, Santa Muerte has also become the subject of uh, songs, of a kind of diatribe in popular culture about how death is inevitable and there's nothing that you can do in the face of it. Embrace Santa Muerte the moment it arrives.
3: The links to the Day of the Dead, where Santa Muerte is concerned, is a difficult one for people of Mexico who want to respect the dead. But it would seem that she has been folded into this celebration regardless.
8: Mexicans are incredibly joyful, and they respond to catastrophe with joy. Every generation expresses itself through the same patterns, through the same icons, through the same symbols, but in different ways, adding, infusing it with its own uh, view of life, with its own connection with what the world is doing at that point. Uh, There is this sense that the heart of the country is in Oaxaca. that uh, that the survival of Oaxaca, in spite of everything, is also the survival of Mexico.
3: I wanted to find someone, a real, recent, and personal representation of change. I wanted to find someone who had redefined it, shaped it, and made it all theirs. Something positive. And I did. This song is Labu Mouche. composed by Santiago Bernal and sang in the indigenous language of Zapotec. It's by La Bruja de Texcoco, the witch of Texcoco, and it's sung from the perspective of a beautiful musha. In a small pocket of Oaxaca, de Zaragoza is the only place that can truly understand what a musha is. A third gender who holds a different role in the community. Not women's roles, not men's, but their own. Mushas have lived in these communities around Oaxaca since pre Hispanic times. Before the arrival of Christianity, in the Zapotec culture, you could find up to five different genders. But gender isn't really the right word. They were societal roles within the community, based on the different contributions that you would make rather than just being male or female. And a musha was one of them. In the 1950s, they began to dress as women. Octavio Mendoza Anari draws his femininity and musical power from Zapotec culture and the mushes. I spoke to La Bruja, through her translator, Marla.
2: It all started when she joined a music band. They were a band specifically playing concerto music, and, and this was done in Texcoco.
3: Texcoco is a small city outside of Mexico City with a huge Aztec history. This song is called Té de Malvón. In the video, Octavio is sitting in a pub, a man in a cowboy hat, a long beard and a horseshoe scribbled on his shirt, playing the
8: violin.
3: He draws long gold-licked acrylic nails across his face, removing his hat. Long hair falls to his shoulders, Colors fill the screen as the hands remove the red shirt, revealing a golden dress, pink lips, and a brush of eyeshadow. The Witch of Texcoco was born. For Octavio, what started as a night partying with a band ended up in a journey finding his femininity in Mexico as a transgender female.
2: During the times where she was playing with this band, they arrived at a party and in this party there was a shaman, and a healer. This shaman looked at her hands and told her that, it was, that those hands were a woman's hands. And that's the first time that she felt respectable, you know, because before that, everybody would refer to her as a queer or in despicable ways. She said that You know, those were the hands of
3: a witch. The hands of a witch. The band played, and at the show, a girl in the crowd began to have convulsions. The shaman encouraged La Bruja to help.
2: He asked Bruja to fix it. So she started playing, and together with other musicians, she started playing her violin, and the girl instantly started
3: getting better. The night had ended. The fiesta died down. It was as late as 3 a.m. when Octavio, the shaman, and the woman who had convulsions set off into the nearby forest to discover what all this really meant to her.
2: And the shaman asked Bruja to introduce herself. And he said, I am La Bruja de Texcoco.
1: All of the the, the bits of the story give you a lot of different chicha. Like, there's there's the fact <laughs> of transitioning from, from man to woman, transitioning from life to death. Like there's a, th- there's a yeah. weird echo there that's really interesting about how you leave one person behind and you yeah. find another yeah, person. Yeah. There's that. Then there's the intersection of history and folklore and the past with the forward looking towards the future and living very much in the now and kind of tying all of that together. Like, as I was listening, I, my brain was just like t- like a washing machine of different things and different ideas and different feelings.
3: When Yvonne Sevens is talking about younger people taking bits of what they want from the past yeah. and bringing it into the present so that they can almost project it into what they want it to be. But a lot of the time they don't actually connect to the present.
1: Yeah, it just so becomes a postcard.
3: It just becomes a postcard or something that you do with your family or your grandparents. Yeah. And I think this is her taking what she wants from different areas of Mexico and making it her own and making a statement and turning it into something positive for the present moment.
1: It's like the counterbalance to this idea of like standardizing the Day of the Dead for all of Mexico. Everybody does the Day of the Dead in the same way. And rather being like, no, we are Mexico. We are this mess of different places and different people. But that doesn't have to be one singular thing. It can be something new.
2: Bruja, after that moment, she noticed that she's been holding back and that she needed to break her own limits and her own set of mind to become who she wanted to be. You can be anything or anyone that you choose.
3: Before this moment, Octavio, as he was then, never identified as trans. But after walking to the woods with the shaman, she emerged as La Bruja de Texcoco. Her music is a combination of modern and traditional Mexican music.
2: She relates the storytelling to her grandma. It's a tradition that comes in every family in the country, but especially like in the middle of Mexico, and that it's important in Mexican tradition to pass the stories through music.
3: She uses her magic as a way of reconnecting to her grandparents to her past, and to Oaxaca, by continuing to make traditional sounds for the younger generation. Her music, much like the Day of the Dead, revels in deities, folkloric tradition, witches, mermaids, and death.
2: Specifically, the Day of the Dead, uh, it, it's an important moment for her. It has meant a, in a different way to deal with death. And the tradition also has softened a little bit the idea of things ending. And it's more about a cycle. But as a woman, it's something different. It's something that it doesn't stop. It's, a, it's more of a path of a transition. She's always looking for ways to evolve. She She's very much aware that in Mexico, it's a pretty much violent place to live in. And it's a violent place for women and especially uh,
3: against uh, trans men. Violence exists all through Mexico, on a terrifying scale, especially for the, let's say, untraditional. The witch is trying to make a much higher visibility for the group. But how real was all this magic for La Bruja?
2: That as a witch and a healer, well, she totally believes in magic because she experienced it. It's essential for her.
3: Born out of a ritual was a witch a new way of living, exploring her sexuality, and using this opportunity to try and make the different more visible, to begin to make it more accepted.
2: To find out that she and her experience is an influence for others, came to her like a bucket of ice-cold water.
3: <laughs> Modernity meets tradition. Traditional music meets modern tones. Stories from folklore written into songs. Inspiration taken from the muches with an aim to bring something even more to the people than just music.
2: Bruja has a politic agenda that opens doors for other trans women or other queer kids that feel more secure about coming out and walk on the streets and feel
3: safe. In Mexico, mythology and folklore is popular music. So, for La Bruja, using this to make a statement about gender violence and politics is really smart. Tradition isn't always easy for minorities, and it certainly doesn't have all the answers. It's filled with difficulties and strife. But remembering the past, traditions and folklore inspires and empowers. The Day of the Dead, although a celebration of life, when it comes to the reality of death, It's not always easy. There's a lot to learn from the past of Oaxaca, but part of it is looking at tradition and knowing when to leave it behind. The Day of the Dead included. Looking in tradition is a way of exploring new ways of seeing life. Seeing the worst parts too, addressing them and evolving. In Oaxaca, a place which has historically prayed to the dead had also surprisingly embraced a third gender. Sex and death are two sure fire topics in Oaxaca and could be part of the reason that this cultural hub in the heart of Mexico is being looked to for change. In Rolling with the Punches, the Day of the Dead has infiltrated international popular culture, but in Oaxaca it is constantly still changing, morphing and highlighting a past of Mexico. A political statement within itself,
0: In order to kind of not forget the dead, you make them more visible. You remember them, you make them more visible in your own life. And that way you don't forget them. That's the good part of that tradition. Mm. La Bruja, taking the same thing, making what she is more visible is going to help.
3: It makes it more accepted in general. I mean, the only way that you can really make something better is by making it more accepted. And the way you make people feel more accepted is by making them feel comfortable to be what they are. It takes a lot for people to kind of listen. And if the masses start listening, eventually it does affect change.
1: There's this predominance of femininity in all of the characters.
3: I agree. It's these like diatribes of female characters of death and femininity that, you know, people look to death and they find a woman. Yeah which is
0: and death as a lady
3: like santa muerte la llorona like a crying woman bringing out her child from a river santa muerte who's the woman of death so as i've seen it it's like femininity really plays a role within death and how people look to it i don't know whether that's a comfort thing Mm. Whether a woman standing on the other side of the darkness is more comforting than it being a man. Yeah, You, know, Interesting.
0: Of course. you come from one. You go back to one. Yeah,
3: you go back to one. Right. And... That's
0: the, you know, so it's the thing. That's where I think I'm going. It's <laughs> a <laughs> nice big cuddle somewhere. <laughs> <clears throat> it's true. It is a comfort. Yeah. And it, like even on a base weird
1: like lizard brain level. it's level. Like, Do you feel it's also connected though to the fact that in in our society, we allow more leeway in terms of emotions within the feminine sphere.
8: I th-
0: yes, yeah, of course, because it is the, it's the ultimate point, isn't it? Hmm. It's the ultimate situation. Imagine if you you know said your goodbyes and it was just like a big, hairy just like a dude, dude and, playing a PlayStation, and, yeah, <laughs> and, like steel toe cap boots,
1: <laughs> wearing a maga hat. Yeah, you don't
0: want that, you know. <laughs> You're born; it's feminine.
1: You die as feminine. That's interesting. It makes sense to me. I don't know. It it, there's there's a it feels natural, but I do I did notice it that, you know, when you split it into these different characters, all of them turn into females as well. You know? Yeah. It's fraught at every point, right? And instead of trying to shirk away from that, you embrace the fact that this is complex, this is a mess. Yes. We don't really know. And death is a mystery, life is a mystery too, so is gender. (laughs) So, uh, let's dance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On your next spirit-searching trip to the heart of Mexico, be sure to check out these five saved pins.
1: Number one, join Yolanda... Her cholo squinkle and the whole family, dead or alive, around the dinner table at Casa Frida guesthouse and stay the evening and explore the city of Oaxaca.
0: Number two, the caves around Oaxaca are a dangerous place. Many explorers have been trapped by water in this labyrinth of rock for over two weeks and some forever. But if you want to dip your toe in the shallows, Tierra Ventura Tours take you on a two-hour hike through the caves and across the cactus-filled deserts outside Oaxaca.
1: Number three, if you arrive during the Day of the Dead and want to spend an evening in a graveyard, lighting candles, placing flowers, and speaking to people about death, visit Panteón Viejo Chochocatlán, the best place to be at this time of year.
0: Number four, take a trip to Mitla, the resting place of Zapotec souls, and climb to an elevation of 4,055 feet where you can take in the beautiful mosaics, the ancient paintings, and explore the tombs that exist below these ruins.
1: Number five. Tucked away in Oaxaca, you can find a load of mezcalerias to wet your lips. Or as Oaxacans say, kiss the cup. But if you would like to taste the good stuff, go to La Mezcaloteca for a wide variety of mezcal from across the region in just one place. It's also run by the wife of an ex-classmate of mine. So say hi. Hi, Nick.
0: That's it for this week. Be sure to write and review us wherever you listen to Passport. You can find us on all social media at Passport Podcast. Next week, we keep things haunted with the story of how one night in a hotel in Colorado changed the horror world. Stephen King, Stanley Kubrick, and the people still haunted and influenced by The Shining. We'll see you then. This week's episode of Passport was written and produced by Harriet Davies and edited by Harriet and myself. Huge thanks to Yolanda Garcia, Gabriel Mendoza, Francisco Berzunza, Ma Prem Lilam, Jan Stavans, La Bruja de Texcoco, and Marla Liena, and the many, many other people Harriet interviewed for this show. We'll put appropriate links to all of those people in our show notes. Our theme music is by Nick Turner, with music by Enemy Silk Den, Mon Placer, Lobo Loco, Roland. The Jingle Punks, Oracle, Trolla Aurora, Radio Jarocho, Barnaby Billows, Music Box, Enriqueta Serda-Mendez, and of course, La Bruja de Texcoco. The show is mixed and mastered by Julian Kuesniewski. Eliza Engel is our production assistant. Hi, Eliza. Stacey Book, Dominic Ferrari, and Avi Glijanski always smell of marigolds. They also executive produced the show, which is hosted by myself and a man who always sees spirits after a night on the Mezcal, Andres Bartos. We'll see you in the next place.